Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. I'm joined as always by conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant Alicia Preston and two-term former Congressman Paul Hodes. Paul, our listeners are going to hear that you're a little under the weather. How are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling pretty good for a guy who's come back from COVID. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm up and taking nourishment. Mm-hmm. My voice is a little foggy. My brain is a little slow, but that's not that unusual, is it? Um, but uh, I got I got walloped, but I'm 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 here. I'm present. I'm accounted for. Well, we didn't want to commit any HIPAA violations here on the Balance of Power Roundtable, but thank you for sharing that about you. And of course, I'm sure all our listeners join us in hoping that you feel better and that you make it through this show. We will do our best not to put you on too much of a spot. Speaking if you hear of, a look, if you hear a loud thunk, it's my head hitting the keyboard. Okay. Or it could be the sound of Russian howitzers opening fire. I don't mean to make light of a very tense and deadly geopolitical situation, but literally as we record this, the news out of Kiev and out of uh, analysts who are following the situation is they expect a Russian invasion, perhaps on Wednesday uh, in Ukraine. Ukraine has become perhaps the most dangerous flashpoint in the world. And we have to talk about it. Now, I want to say up front that None of us on this panel are career foreign policy experts, and we're not going to try to be. We did have a bona fide top former State Department official on our show two weeks ago, Max Bergman. You can look it up in the Beyond Politics podcast feed. He did a great comprehensive rundown of what is the situation? Why is Russia doing this? Why is Vladimir Putin so into attacking Ukraine? What are sort of all the political forces that are that are combining here? I'm just going to commend that episode to our listeners. I think in terms of this show and in terms of our expertise, I'd like to talk a little bit about the kind of strange politics of Ukraine and how it's going to play out in the U.S. Because we find that Americans' views on this are sort of polarized like everything else. And there are splits within each party that don't go along traditional lines. Alicia, I want to talk to you first about this because you're seeing this largely in the Republican Party. There is a split with senators like Josh Hawley and prominent commentators like Tucker Carlson taking a very pro-Russia stance, which is very much at odds with the traditional approach of the Republican Party, not so much at odds with the approach of our former president, Donald Trump. What is going on in Republican Party circles? How are how are Republicans thinking about and reacting to this situation? You know, I can't speak to the Tucker Carlson's of the world. I don't watch them. I don't listen to them. I don't Google them. I don't even watch it on, you know, online afterwards. It, it's a waste of air and space as far as I'm concerned. You know, Russia's the bad guy. Russia's been the bad guy for a really, really, really long time when it was the USSR and it was more than just Russia. It was the bad guy and it still is. I mean, I am, you know, a Cold War child. I was raised in in, in that generation and it, and it hasn't changed. It got quiet for a while, but it hasn't changed. That's who Russia is. And it's led by Putin for a long time. And he's a bad guy. Uh, you know, I, I to your point of being an expert, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I believe America's strength has always been uh, our our military and our willingness to use it when necessary. I think part of the problem we're having right now, and polls are split on what Americans want to do, uh, is most of us couldn't pick Ukraine out of a world map. 
Um, and that's not a criticism. I don't think I could if it weren't that I'm an avid access and allies player. And point of note, capturing Ukraine is one of the first things you have to do to win the war. It oh, is you've a, got to. I mean, get, get to. given their oil resources, I mean, although I just to, just to add a, a note, uh, actually, uh, Morning Consult looked at this. Thirty four percent of Americans can find Ukraine on a map. So, Alicia, you are comfortably within the two thirds of Americans who cannot or maybe you can because of because of board I can games. because of the board game. All right. But. Well, then you're you're in the uncomfortable one third. Oh, OK. <laughs> so uh, but so it's it's hard. And again, this isn't a criticism. It's hard to find you know, a tangible emotion or concern when you don't really understand it. And so very few of us, I certainly don't understand all the geopolitical issues going on with it. Um, But I noted a few weeks ago, we've got a big problem politically and otherwise. And our big problem is we can't let Russia take over Ukraine, a sovereign country. And yet we can't go to war with Russia. So what do we do? They're trying diplomacy. The, um, you know, Admiral Kerr, Kirby had a press conference and he noted they think there's still diplomacy uh, in, in, the for, in the foresight. And I hope there is. Uh, I don't know what the answers are, but I don't like it being political. I am pretty hawkish. Um, I wish we had a Ronald Reagan at the helm right now, to be perfectly honest. Um, that's not a criticism of Biden. I, I don't think there's a president since then that would handle this better than he would have. Uh, but we need to be strong and we need to be strong as citizens, as a unified country, uh, and as a unified, unified with our partners in Europe in whatever the decisions are to do. And let's keep the politics and, and, and the nonsense of Russia being anybody but the super bad guys. Let's keep that at bay as we're trying to figure out what we should do. Well, you know, Paul, it's interesting. Alicia, as she often does on this show, reflects kind of a more traditional Republican perspective that is in step with where the Republican Party has been for a long time but is not as much in step with where the Republican Party is now. What what Republicans are telling pollsters is that 59% think that Biden's approach to Russia is too friendly. And they don't don't think that he's approaching this quite the right way. On the other hand, you were elected to Congress in part on the strength of your stance against a war led by a Republican president. There's obviously a very strong anti-war vein that runs through the left of politics in this country. And what we find in polling is that Democrats are by and large pretty comfortable with President Biden's approach. So is what we're seeing here just sort of knee-jerk political polarization as on every other issue? Or is there something else very strange kind of running through our politics here? This is a very complex uh, situation. We have just exited uh, messily out of Afghanistan. We've had years and years in the 21st century of war. Um, The American people are, by and large, really tired of endless wars. And uh, we, we really, I think, emotionally or mentally, as a people, we're not prepared to think about war in Europe. I mean, that is so 20th century. That is so World War II ago. And why are we now thinking about masses of troops and and, uh, at war in Europe? I mean, if you look at pictures on the television of Kiev, it's a modern city. There are people, they say, going about their business, uh, just going about their business. Um, And when you think about what it would mean to have 130,000 uh, Russian troops invading uh, with um, uh, jets and rockets and bombs. And I mean, it's it's 
it's literally unimaginable. We've thought of Europe as a much more um, somehow sacrosanct, civilized um, theater, uh, unlike the Middle East, which has been an endless source of conflict. So there's a lot of uh, war fatigue. Um, but in some ways, it may be that the divisions or concerns or positions people are taking are are it's hard to say whether they're simply partisan or 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 ideologic or simply confused given the situation i mean for example vote vets it's a left-leaning group that lobbied to end the wars in iraq and afghanistan but it it quickly um, uh, dispatched experts and and former generals to shore up uh, biden's position um, so they sided with Biden, even though they had lobbied strongly to end the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, uh, Concerned Veterans for America, which is a, um, conser- a conservative um, group, more conservative than Vote Vets, um, uh, took a, a firm position against any American actions that could let it lead anyone to believe that uh, Washington has a security commitment to Kiev or would invade or would deploy troops, et cetera, et cetera. They oppose deploying troops to Eastern Europe and selling American weapons to Ukraine. So, so you've got the Hawks opposing the uh, strong defense. You've got the Doves um, uh, supporting the Biden, the Biden approach. Um, hard, and the reason I'm talking about vets here and the vets groups positions is to point out that this takes it out of the partisan in 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 some ways. You know, I'm not now talking about Democrats and Republicans. We're talking about the confusion of those who you think would be dovish and those who you would think should be hawkish. Now, personally, I have a connection to Ukraine. My grandpa Sam came from Ukraine in 1900. He came across on a ship. Um, maybe it was 1912, I think, um, came across. Uh, So I have a direct DNA tie to Ukraine, which at the time was part of Russia. So, well, let me, let me ask, well, let me ask you about the point you were, you were just making, not, not about grandpa Sam, although that is a salient point, but about some of the, the, the partisan the, perhaps confusion, some of the some of the line crossing. And look, I think we can all agree that a lot of that is probably based on the fact that, as Alicia was saying, most Americans don't know where Ukraine is. There are, as Paul was saying, very complicated issues going on here of geopolitics and trade and the economy. I mean, Europe, as, a, as a, the European Union, has the same size economy as the US. It's the same size as China. People frequently forget what a major economic power the European Union is. And there's massive overlap, obviously, between the EU and NATO. And so European interests are incredibly important, especially as a counterbalance to Russia and Europe. And I think I think people kind of, if you make that point, people get it. On the other hand, that's pretty abstract. That's pretty not in people's immediate day-to-day lives and existence. And, you know, Alicia, you've been making this point repeatedly on this show that what really matters to people when it comes to politics and, and the economy is what's their everyday experience, which is why when gas prices go up, they care about that. They think the economy is terrible. Nothing else will really enter into the equation. So I guess my, my, my follow-up question to both of you is we have seen a pattern repeatedly in this country that when there is a threat to the US or a foreign policy crisis, 
overall, we have some sort of rally around the flag effect. We didn't have it with Donald Trump with the COVID crisis. We did have it on the state level with governors. In New Hampshire, Governor Sununu experienced a massive ratings boost because there was a rally around the flag effect. So I guess, Alicia, I'll turn to you first. My question is, given what we know and how little Americans do know about Ukraine and some of these scrambled lines of, of partisan affiliations and, and interests in the situation here, do you think if war breaks out that we are going to have a rally around the flag effect for President Biden or is our current state of, of partisan warfare so so intense that there's no prospect of that and we're going to remain as divided as ever? Unfortunately, I don't think we will. Uh, I think there will be, if that were to happen, uh, a rally around our troops. I think we are somehow able to separate our government from our troops, most of us are, uh, and our support for them. Uh, we've got two problems with the rallying around the flag. Number one is we've got the stench of people like Tucker Carlson still hanging around, right? And he's got a following and people listen to him and he doesn't care about unifying America behind anything. He, you know, he's, he peddles in divisiveness, he peddles in hatred, and there are too many people that are willing to listen to him. And so whatever Biden does will be opposed by him and what I think is a very small contingency percentage wise of Americans who follow him, uh, they exist. And so it'll prevent that. And the fact is, we are just a very, very divided country right now. Um, and and Joe Biden, to his fault, hasn't done enough to try unite us, which he said he was going to. We could be in a different place. I'm not even talking about policy. I'm talking about his words. And uh, he didn't do what he said, which was try to unite us. He gets up there and he speaks as partisanly as anybody else does. And so we can't be expected to be in a position of rallying behind him. Uh, but I would always rally behind our troops and uh, try to keep an open mind, whatever his decision is, uh, to protect the interests of America, which includes what happens in Europe. Well, I thought I detected a kind of through a COVID induced haze, a slight smirk of disbelief about the idea that if Joe Biden had spoken different words over the last year, we might be in a very different place in, in partisan terms in this country. I get the sense that you do not accept that premise. Um, I, I appreciate Alicia's partisanship about Joe Biden. I, it's, it, it's, I expected that. However, there is nothing Joe Biden could do in the face of an absolutely whack job right-wing Republican Party, um, who have nothing in common with anything that we traditionally thought of as um, American politics. It's, it's, it, they're, they're so far out on a limb and so far um, into just ob obstructionist politics that it's hard to think about the dysfunctional nature of our political system and and see how diplomacy of any kind could work with the far right cabal that calls itself the Republican Party. Now, those words may be extreme and they're meant to kind of tweak, I, I admit, but there's nothing Joe Biden could say or do to bring the Republicans and the Republican right uh, to some sort of function. Let, let me just also say, however, that in light of what Donald Trump did to damage NATO and damage uh, the European alliance, which has in fact um, kept peace in Europe in, 
in most instances, except for uh, some minor conflicts in, in Serbia, etc., um, uh, his uniting uh, NATO behind a, an approach to this crisis is a very, very good thing. I think it's, it's good for the world. It's good for our alliances. It's good for America's position that he has restored the uh, approach, a united approach uh, with a NATO alliance, mostly, mostly united. I understand that there are some concerns with France or concerns with Germany, but in general, um, we're working together. That is not something that would have been possible under Trump. It is important to confront uh, an aggressor like Russia with a united front. So I think this um, will stand as an important forward step for American foreign policy. And I also think generally that Biden understands that Americans don't want to go to war in the Ukraine, don't want to go to war in Russia, uh, and we do not plan and will not see military intervention as desperate a situation as, as that may mean. So I'm not sure if I'm entirely pushing back against the notion you were just discussing, Paul, but I, I wanted to bring up a, a topic that I, I was going to introduce slightly later in the show. And look, I think in introducing this, we're coming up on a radio break here. Our podcast listeners aren't going to catch it in the Capital Close Up podcast feed. It's just going to evaporate. But our radio listeners, we're coming up on a break. So look, but let me just let me just set up, let me just set up this topic here because I think, Paul, what you were just saying does connect to a, a question that came up over the weekend. Governor Sununu of New Hampshire said on one of the Sunday talk shows that Washington Republicans aren't getting things done. They're just into stopping whatever it is that Biden is doing, which is, of course, the premise of what I just asked you both about. Is there going to be any rally around the flag effect if you have a, a war in Europe where you would think that there would be some uniting in America? But, but, but the Senate has actually just passed a whole bunch of bipartisan legislation. On, on Thursday last week, by voice vote, that means everyone was okay with it, they passed a bill to end the employment practice of forcing women to resolve sexual assault allegations in closed door arbitration hearings. So that, that was a, a totally bipartisan bill. Uh, senators have a compromise now to renew the Violence Against Women Act. Uh, appropriators, those are the folks in Congress who come up with how we spend the money, have announced a deal on how they're going to fund the government for the next year. And the House and, and the Senate is, is all on board with this, has just passed a bill to straighten out how we fund the Postal Service. And lawmakers on both sides are saying this is a very important achievement. So look, with that long list in mind and talk about the Senate filibuster, I'm in the midst of conducting one here. Let's go to the radio break that we're about to take. But the question that I want to tease across the break for both of you, and I, I want you to think about it. And Paul, maybe you want to take a little Tylenol and, um, you know, uh, some, some cough medicine along the way. But the question I want to tease to you is, OK, things are super partisan. And maybe I agree with your point, Paul, that there's nothing Joe Biden really could have said to, you know, get the, the far right to get on board with him and, and, and stop opposing everything he does. Except the thing is. It seems like when when the temperature is turned down, there are a whole bunch of issues in Congress that Republicans and Democrats can actually get together, agree on and get done. Not to mention we passed a giant infrastructure bill that Donald Trump wanted to get done for all four years of his presidency. I guess my question is, 
Is it actually the case that we can't get anything done and we have too much partisan warfare to be productive as a government at all anymore? Alicia, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you. I mean, it's good they're getting some things done. Uh, you know what I like about when these kind of bills pass, like the ones you rattled off, is when I didn't know it was something that existed. Like, seriously, if you were sexually assaulted in the workplace, you had to go to a third party arbitration by force. That's insane. Yeah, you so, know where that came up? You know no, where that came up? No. Fox News. You know oh. who was at the press conference announcing the deal on this? Gretchen Carlson. You know who she wanted to sue? The top brass at Fox News. And she couldn't. Oh. Because she was in forced arbitration. So, yeah, no, I, I was equally dismayed to discover that this was a thing. So, first of all, I'm always fascinated with that. I, you know, and I did see Gretchen on Twitter a few times and was like, I need to check out what she's talking about now. Thank you. Now I know what she was talking about. Uh, so that's good. I mean, that's great. But of course, it's something we should all agree on fixing the postal system, particularly in the last year, not necessarily at a fault of their own. It got real slow. It got real messy. Good. I mean, these are little things that I'm happy that they're being addressed and they're being fixed. I don't think it addresses the partisan divide that we have because none of the things passing are anything that people have a partisan view of, right? They're just things that better the workplace, better something as important as our mail, better, uh, you know, various aspects, small pockets of society. I mean, the big stuff Joe Biden wanted to get done didn't get done. I think that's great. I'm glad that his agenda isn't passing. I'm glad the infrastructure bill did. Again, something that's not political. Wait, hold on. on. Can I I push back on you for a second? Please do. Just a friendly way. So when Joe Biden announced his agenda a year ago, there were three parts to it, right? There was the American Rescue Plan. There was the American, I don't, I don't remember what they call these things. They come up with like Orwellian like names for things. Well, basically there was the American Rescue Plan, which was the COVID bill. There was the infrastructure bill and there was the Build Back Better, which was like the social spending, spending bill. He got two out of three. I'm not sure I understand the, the part about Biden's agenda. Well, no, passing. he didn't get the two out of three because anything that passed was trimmed down. As to what he, he passed two of them. That's they were trimmed down. The infrastructure bill that he originally wanted was not the one that passed. It had all kinds of gunk in it that did not go through when he first announced this. He also yeah, announced I he wanted gun control. He wanted policing standards changed. He wanted all these things. He didn't get it. He got a compromised infrastructure bill that has, for the most part, there's a little bit of junk in it, but I don't expect ever to have a clean bill out of Washington. For the most part, it was toned down as to what he wanted. Same with everything else. Build Back Better, his big thing, didn't happen. His big stuff that are partisan issues aren't passing. Good. I'm glad they're not. But the stuff that is passing is nonpartisan issues that have no political nature to them. So that's good, too. I mean, I don't know how it, you know, the idea that a woman doesn't have to go to third party arbitration if she's sexually assaulted in the workplace shows that, hey, we're all on the same team. It, it, of course we are on that one. I will say that that the idea that if a woman is sexually assaulted, she doesn't have to go through a horrible legal procedure is not a non-controversial issue if you're in a place like, I don't know, Texas. So I, I just, th- that, is a, that is a fully controversial issue in many parts of our country. And again, three big parts to his agenda. Was there negotiation? Did he get everything that he proposed? No, three big bills. He passed two of them. Is, is that the talking point for 2022? That's Because that's we're all smarter point. than that. This Even is the regular folk are smarter math. to know that. The audacity there, of the math, bills two that out passed of three. look nothing like nothing like what nothing oh, like. Wait, the wait, 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 wait. Stop, children, children, stop arguing. Yeah, Dad. So yeah, here's right. the here's the deal. Here's the <laughs> you deal. You don't even know where you wait, are right now, man. Wait a, a second. Fever of 104. Wait a second. 
I served in Congress. Okay. I dealt with legislation. Are you sure? I, or is that just a No, no, no. Thing? It's not just a hallucination. I really <laughs> did. I was in Congress. I dealt with legislation. There is no piece of legislation that goes into the sausage grinder that comes out of the sausage grinder packaged in the way it went in. Okay. It all gets mangled and changed and reduced. It there's no piece of legislation that I ever dealt with that came out bigger than it went in. So, so Alicia, you're just wrong. You can talk fast about it, but you're just plain wrong. The fact is Biden won two out of three. Now you may not like it. You may not like it politically. You may suffer the political consequences of those massive victories, but those are a fact. Now, let me just go back, Matt, to your original question about Sununu and dysfunction. First of yes. all, as Alicia has pointed out, Sununu is a very smart politician. He is like Teflon. He is Wiley Fox. And he is looking ahead and I thinking think to Coyote, himself. Man. Yeah, Wiley Coyote. That's I'm hallucinating. There's so, the COVID kicking in. So <laughs> there's the COVID kicking in. So anyway, he's looking in the mirror. He's looking in the mirror and saying, I want to be president of the United States. And what better message for me to be putting out there other than, oh, I'm looking at Washington and right. my own party is being dysfunctional. I, I, Christopher Sununu, will go and I will be the savior. I represent the Republican of conscience that all of you so desperately are yearning for to unite the country. For Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, a purple state and in a purple country, that's a pretty good message. So irrespective of the truth or falsity of his pronouncement, it's good politics for Chris Sununu. And in terms of whether or not Yes, some things are getting done. It doesn't solve the fundamental kind of crazy political dysfunction we're living with. Well, I will say this. I had a guest from, uh, he's a, it's a center, it's a right, look, it's a, it's a right-leaning thing. We took guff on social media about having a guest on from the American Enterprise Institute. They are a right-leaning think tank, okay? They are, they're from the right. On this show, I, you know, I as a host am a Democrat. Paul Hodes is a Democrat. We like talking to Republicans, and we're going to keep doing that. And you know, it doesn't it doesn't disqualify them and their expertise. It I energizes have, the debate, people. Yes, we, you've got to yeah. have you you've got to have different perspectives. Absolutely. Now we happen to be right about everything, but that doesn't matter. The point <laughs> is, no, we had a we had a top notch expert. This guy, uh, Dr. Kevin Kosar, who has studied this in Congress. His point: he wrote a, an op ed in the Washington Post where he pointed out that he studied. He believe it or not, he studied congressional hearings. Can you imagine? Some people actually watch congressional hearings. He studied oh. every single congressional hearing for the last fifty years. Wow, talk about a level of patience on a guy. But anyway, and he shows that. The number of witnesses that we're having in hearings has dropped down. It's down to 20 percent of where it used to be. And the point is, Congress is not doing its work. It's not doing its basic work. And so I think I, the only thing I would circle back in a serious way to what you were saying, Alicia, is that, look, it's I agree. It's not like solving world hunger or, you know, bridging the partisan divide in a meaningful way when you pass bills 
that should be a layup, should be a no-brainer. But in recent years, they have not been a layup. They have not been a no-brainer. Passing the annual appropriations bill that just funds the government, that's not something, believe it or not, hey, Democrats out there, if, you're, if you want to be upset about something, do you realize that America is operating on a Donald Trump budget right now because Congress has kept kicking the can down the road for the last year? So whatever Donald Trump proposed and we managed to pass when he was president is still in effect today? Yeah. So moving on from that, I would say is a good thing. It might be, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's and doing your, you know, your general homework. But Congress has not been doing its general homework. So I am in favor of that. I'm willing to see that as a bright spot in our politics. With that said, let's move on a little bit. You know, I think we have to talk just a little bit. This, this started last week after we aired our, our show on Tuesday. I saw the mask wall of America falling faster than the Berlin Wall did in 1989. You notice how I just pronounced that, not like the German city, but like the North Country town. The, despite the, the raft of Democratic governors who were suddenly falling all over themselves to announce, yep, we're ending mask mandates, we're ending them tomorrow in the case of New York, we're, we're ending them uh, at the end of February in the case of Massachusetts, the White House is not yet fully on board. They seem a little hamstrung by their own CDC that continues to say, well, we're not quite there yet. What is going on politically with this Paul Hodes? Why is Joe Biden so reluctant to just take yes for an answer and say, yes, we are here. Drop the masks. Woohoo. Well, because I've been talking to Joe Biden and I, I called him up the other day and I said, hey, Joe, I'm vaxxed, I'm boosted, I'm masked everywhere. And I came down with the wickedest case of COVID uh, with Omicron that, that anybody has heard of. I was walloped. I was laid flat for days in bed. And you're right. Hang on to your, hang on to your reluctance to get rid of, of mask mandates and cautions because it's crazy talk to say that we are out of the woods. We don't even know what variant is going to come up next or if there's going to be a variant. And politically, if you declare victory, you're like George Bush on the on the deck of, uh, of the aircraft carrier. Um, and it's going to come back to bite you 99 to one. So, folks, I'm a living example of 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 why caution is required. I took all the precautions. I caught COVID. I am gonna go back out there when I can, and I'll I'll be masked. Um, and you've got there. There is there. Nobody. I can tell you, nobody wants to have what I just went through. Nobody does. Let me just say, it was scary. For the first time in my life, I woke up last. Thursday morning, scared I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, I couldn't talk and breathe at the same time. I was, you know, I was, I was a scooch from, from going to the ER uh, and asking for oxygen. Um, I, I had bad visions of what was coming. So I can tell you this thing from personal experience, this is a really serious disease. It is not the flu. It is not a cold. And it hits everybody differently. My wife, Pego, tested positive. She's got cold symptoms. She doesn't have all the respiratory stuff that I got. Um, so it's just, it's crazy out there. 
And it's way, way, way too soon to declare victory and go home. And yet in polling, Americans are are telling our, our friends in the pollster community that they're pretty done with COVID restrictions. And look, I remember a long, long time ago, it was like three weeks ago that I asked you, Alicia Preston, is Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, making a major political misstep by making his very first act in office to push back against school mask mandates? And, you know, we talked about that and et cetera. But now it seems like he was really on to something in terms of where voters were and Democratic governors who are, who are in the thick of this seem to have gotten the message and they say, look, we can't force this on people any longer. They're not abiding by it. They don't want to do it. And, and, and they're done with it. I, I mean, is this just an inevitability? Is, have, they, have they landed where, where people are? You know, I think politics is driving policy. And while that's okay some places, I guess, uh, it's not okay with COVID. You know, this entire time I have tried very hard and I think I've mostly succeeded in never using a political pr- prism <clears throat> to look at an issue surrounding COVID. Uh, whether it's mandates, vaccines, masks, restrictions, I look at it simply as a human being who lives in a shared society perspective. Um, I wear a mask. I always wear a mask. Everyone in my family wears a mask. Um, I know which stores people tend to wear masks at based on demographics and which ones they don't. And I go to the ones that do. Uh, I will probably wear a mask in perpetuity long after this because I also haven't had a flu in two years, knock on wood. Um, So you know, I, I don't understand the political pitfall of asking people to wear a mask. Now, look, I'm a Republican. I don't like federal mask mandates. I, I, the New Hampshire state mask mandate, I was fine with when it happened. I think it had to come to an end to an extent. I am all for private businesses if they want to have a mask mandate doing it. I'm all for local school districts if they want to have a mask mandate doing it. I believe you go to the smallest denominator, denominator they know their communities best. I'll just never understand why people keep having a problem wearing a mask. It's really not a big deal. All the little science memes that people put out, it's just not real. Wear a mask, care about your fellow man, care about Paul Hodes, whether you like his politics or not. I don't like his politics. I don't want him to die from COVID. I mean, that's what this is about, right? This isn't even about government policy. This is about living in a shared society and giving a damn about your fellow man. And by the way, I, I will just say, first of all, I agree. I don't want Paul to die from COVID. I'm very glad that you are recovering, Paul. I will also say that there is some good news here that epidemiologically, now that you are recovering slash recovered, you are the least risk to the people around you of anyone you know. You literally are, are probably the one person who doesn't need to go out wearing a mask that we personally know. So anyway, continued good recovery to you, Paul, I do want to touch as we as we reach the end of the show, I do want to touch just very briefly on an interview that I did yesterday with Michael Cohen. No, not that Michael Cohen, not not the one you're thinking of, not 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 that guy, although that would be interesting. And he's invited on the show. I, anytime Michael, if you're Cohen, listening, Michael Cohen, if you're out there, look, <laughs> unfortunately, Michael Cohen is is an incredibly common name. So there, there are a bunch of them. You know the one that I'm talking about. That one, the Trump one, you're invited on the show. But we got a different one, a better one in my mind. The Michael Cohen that I interviewed has been a top Republican operative thinker pollster for more than 25 years. He's worked at a number of Republican polling firms. He teaches at Johns Hopkins. He's the author of the book, Modern Political Campaigns. He's appeared on every media outlet under the sun, including 
this show. And I wanted to bring him back on for two reasons. One, he had the leading article, the leading opinion article in the Capitol Hill newspaper, The Hill, over the weekend, making the case for why Mike Pence should run for president. And I want to ask you guys about that. But he also tweeted last week during the legitimate political discourse brouhaha that he was out. He's out on the Republican Party. And when I pressed him on it, he said, no, look, to be clear, I've been out for a long time. So we talked a little bit about what it would take to get him back in to the Republican Party. I mention all of this because I really want people to check out that episode. It's in the Beyond Politics podcast feed. And I I want people to hear for themselves what it would take to draw a stalwart of the Republican Party back into the fold. But let's turn to his article for a second. Alicia Preston, should Mike Pence run for president, even if it's up against Donald Trump? I I don't think he'd have a chance. And here's why. Number one, I'm going to continue to maintain until I am proven otherwise that Donald Trump is not running for president in 2024. I don't see it. I don't believe it. I don't think it's happening. But let's, you know, hypothetically say it is Trump's problem would be uh, Pence's problem would be this. He's not going to get the Trumpers, obviously, which is, you know, let's call it 50 percent. I think as a poll, 50 percent want Trump to run of Republicans. He's not going to get them. And then he's not going to get the Republicans who feel he didn't do enough to thwart Trump's, Trump's efforts or didn't speak out enough. And that may not be a huge percentage, but there's enough out there that feels Mike Pence who I believe is a good man, um, you know, he's a man of faith and, and honor. There are those who feel he should have done more or at least spoken more loudly. Um, you know, he recently made a comment that Trump's claims that Pence could overturn this were wrong. That's good. It should have been said a year ago. Uh, so I think it's, you know, campaigns are numbers games. And you carve out those two groups alone. I don't think the numbers are there. Paul, should Mike Pence run for president? Well, I mean, Alicia's gonna. I mean, Alicia's going to work for Chris Sununu's presidential campaign. So I I actually will. If you, I'll I'll dust off that hat and come back to the game. She is going to go to work. (laughs) She wants to be his. You know, I mean, she's going to help. She's the communications chief for Chris Sununu's presidential campaign. So you know, take a look at. You have to fast forward to where we think we're going to be when it comes time to announce um, Pence doesn't have a chance in you know what um, of, of, of getting the nomination among Republicans. Um, every, you know, there are enough people who hate him on, on all sides of the Republican um, caucus, so to speak, either the radical wacky far right or merely the wacky far right, which is the entire Republican Party. Of course, there is nothing further a center that actually makes a difference. Folks like Alicia are there's maybe, you know, she she's maybe what, six percent of the Republican Party are Republicans of conscience. Folks can't see her shaking her head as if she disagrees with that. She It's wishful thinking that she represents more than six percent of the Republican Party. So between those who wanted to hang Mike Pence and and those who know that there's not a chance. He doesn't have a shot. Forget about forget about it. Oh, now you're just channeling the other Michael Cohen. Look, all I can say is that when a pollster of this Michael Cohen's longstanding Republican prominence and expertise says there is a case here, there's a path. I tend to sort of believe it. 
but you guys both make a really compelling case. All right, let's shoehorn one more. Let's just do, let's just do one more in this show. We have, we have just a few more minutes left. Let's talk about Canadian truckers. I mean, is this, is this a thing? Is this a thing that we should be spending? No, it's the name. It's the name of a of a new rock band, Canadian Truckers Blockade. Canadian or the blockade is good. Yeah, the blockade. The blockade is good. Canadian truckers is good. You know, Canadian mother truckers. I mean, you know, there's all there's all (laughs) kinds of there's all kinds of rock and roll names in there. I, I mean. There are people on the right who are claiming that this is this is a thing, that this is sort of emblematic of long simmering COVID frustrations and too much government overreach and that it's a cross-border movement and there are yeah. copycat movements in the U.S. and France. Are You guys are shaking your head. Our radio listeners can't see Alicia and Paul putting a, a facial expression on like they just swallowed a particularly this is another. This is another far-right crazy 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 bit of business and 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 as a matter of fact it has caught the attention of canadians and now there are apparently regular non-trucking canadians who are out there saying hey we don't want to have any mask mandates hey you know i mean it's it's copycat everybody's tired of masks everybody wants to um everybody wants the 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 right to my body my choice i can die live free and die okay folks no masks Go ahead, live free and die. Wait, so my body, my choice is the new slogan of the right, just so I'm clear. Apparently, apparently, that's what they say. My body, my choice. Except, of course, when it comes to the patriarchal control of women's bodies, then it's their bodies, our choice. So so it's, you know, it's it's just more of the same craziness. Okay, ignoring Paul's tangent. I will say <laughs> <laughs> that was that was provocative. I, that was provocative. I will say this story is so overblown. I mean, if you look at the numbers, like they they there was a story done on one of the um, border crossings where it was stopped. A dude went out there and put tractor equipment blocking the, you know, the the crossing. So go move the tractor equipment, guys. I mean, this is this is like dozens of people, not millions of people, not even thousands of people. I'm not even sure we've hit 200 people or trucks at one location during this. It just looks pretty cool because you get all the trucks and the big shiny trucks and it looks neat. And but it's really not that many people. And the only people they're affecting, like the Ottawa crossing is one of the biggest trade routes between Canada and the U.S., and they're blocking trade, which is screwing up the economy for the people, not the government. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it looks cool because we all like movies like Over the Top and that's what we think of trucking, but that's all it really is. Oh, that is a great pull. My gosh, the movie Over the Top. Great wow. Hey, flick. kids, yeah. you know, um, go Google this. There used to be a movie star named Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> it was a big deal. Google that too. You'll, you'll look it up. I, I mean, I will say, Speaking of Canadians, one of my favorite sports reporters, a guy named John Saunders, who died a few years ago, he used to host the show, The Sports Reporters. He would end every commentary with a plea for people to pay attention to hockey because he cared about hockey. Well, I'm just going to finish out this show by getting on my personal hobby horse, which is the effect of social media on an issue like this. It's come to light that a lot of these copycat movements are being fueled by bot farms and trolls in places like Bangladesh that They don't really care about this issue. Obviously, they could not care less. They just want to stir things up and get viral clicks and get groups going and get get people all in a tizzy. This is AstroTurf. If there's a Canadian word for AstroTurf, that's what this is. 
and on that. Pretty sure they mostly speak English there. It's it's maple turf. Okay. Okay. All right. On that happy note, we got to end the show. For Paul Hodes and Alicia Preston, I'm Matt Robeson. We'll see you next time.